At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. church and this morning is my great privilege uh, to bring to you God's holy inspired and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. The year is 1521. Martin Luther is standing before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V and there is a large council assembled. Martin Luther being charged with heresy and they are asking Martin Luther to recant his position and his teachings, and here is what Martin Luther says to the council that is assembled there asking him to recant. He says this, if then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reason, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited and my judgment is not brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. (laughs) Needless to say, uh, in summary, he didn't recant. Um, he, he, He decides, no, based on the truth of Scripture, based on what God's Word says, unless you can convince me by God's Word that what I'm saying is wrong, then I, I can't recant. And, and here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. Luther was the main spokesman uh, during the Protestant Reformation, and the Reformers were seeking for the church to reform on several different issues, like the authority of Scripture, uh, the authority of councils and church tradition, praying to the saints, the role of the Virgin Mary. And one of the biggest issues that the Protestant Reformers were facing was this question. They were trying to answer this question and asking the church to reform on this question, namely, how is a person saved? That was the question. That, that's what they were seeking the most. That's what they were driving at the most. We, we've got to reform on how we're answering this question, how is a person saved? And so the reformers came up with uh, kind of trying to basically outline everything they were trying to do and everything they were trying to say to give uh, b- basically something to, to focus on as their movement progressed. And they came up with what is known as the five solas, or the five solas of the Reformation, the word sola being uh, the Latin word for only or alone. And so they said they, they're building all of their uh, theology and all of their movement on uh, that we are saved by Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, that's what we're talking about today, faith alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Now, some of you may have heard about the Reformation, but there's also what is known as the Counter-Reformation. As the Reformers start to try to reform the church and they're teaching these uh, solas and these doctrines, there's a Counter-Reformation to where uh, the, the existing church is trying to squash or push down this Reformation that's happening in the church. It's known as the Counter-Reformation seen at the Council of Trent held between 1545 and 1563 in northern Italy. And their key text 
as they're fighting against the Reformation is, you guessed it, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. As the Reformers are saying, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Those councils are pointing to this text here, which says faith without works is dead. And so the controversy began to ensue. And so this morning, it is impossible for me to stress the importance of this debate because eternity is literally hanging in the balance. It's impossible for you to stress how important this argument is because we are talking about the eternity of human souls. And so if you're taking notes, the reason soteriology is important is because there are many in the church that have a misguided confidence in their salvation. Okay, so, so to say soteriology, we, we know that means the study of salvation or studying about uh, theology pertaining to how one is made right with God. Again, both sides of the Reformation, both sides, the Counter-Reformation, and the, both, both agreed there is separation between God and man and something needs to happen so that God and man can be reunited together and they just simply disagreed. And so why it is so important for us to study soteriology, for us to talk about the Reformation, for us to talk about the solace, for us to talk about how one is made right with God is because there are so many in the church today that have a misguided confidence in their salvation. This is what we see, especially especially here in the South. What, what I want us to acknowledge is that good things can have bad side effects. Good things can have bad side effects. And here is Here's what I'm talking about. Many of us were raised in churches that ask us to pray a sinner's prayer. If you'd like to be saved this morning, if you would like to avoid hell, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to pray this sinner's prayer. Repeat after me. And, and so they would pray. And, and if you've received Christ today, would you raise your hand? And if they raise their hand, this person is saved. If you were like me, you grew up in a church tradition to where uh, there was a, a card in the seat pocket in front of you. And if you would take out that card, there's a box on there that says, check this box if you'd like to be saved. And, and today, grace is free. Uh, it is available for you. All you need to do is check this box that says you would like to be saved, and you will be saved. Is that a bad thing? Well, certainly not. I mean, how many of us in the room truly were saved under such invitation. I was, right? I was saved under such an invitation at a large youth rally to where the sinner's prayer was prayed and you raised your hand. That's how, that's how I came to know Jesus. But what we must also acknowledge is that though good, it's a good thing, good things can have bad side effects. So, so let, let's just talk about Peter. Peter, in the book of Acts, doesn't he stand before a large crowd and tell them that they need to repent and pray and be baptized? Absolutely. And so on that particular day, when Peter stands in front of that crowd after receiving the Holy Spirit and preaches and calls people to repent, 3,000 people raise their hand and they are saved. That's what the Bible says. So there's nothing wrong with that type of praying the sinner's prayer, or calling people to repent from the stage. But the book of Acts does not end there. 
the, the book of Acts isn't over at that point. As a matter of fact, I'll just read what happens next. After they are saved, here's what happens next to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all that they had as they had need. And so it was not a raise your hand, go out the door, you're good. It was raise your hand and accept a life of sacrificial love towards other people. So it was faith that led to works. And so again, church family, sadly, if you're taking notes, sadly, the church adopted the strategy of easy believism without insisting on a sacrifice that should necessarily follow. This is the life that we're called into. If we're raising our hand, if we're checking that box, yes, it is that easy. Place your faith on Jesus Christ and know that by placing your faith on Jesus Christ, you're now being called into a life of sacrificial love towards other people and a life of purity concerning your morality and especially your sexuality. So let me, let me give you the big idea for today. Here is the whole sermon. When justification occurs, there will be transformation. When justification occurs, there will be transformation. To say it the other way, the other way around, if there is not transformation, then justification has not occurred. So if, if you have been justified, there will be transformation. If you're, if you're looking at your life and there is no transformation, then you are not justified. What do I mean by justification? Well, we've, we've labored this, and I'll continue to do it because it is it's so important, theologically speaking. Justification is right standing with God. Or justification is when God declares that your sins are forgiven and Christ's righteousness is now yours. That's justification. What do I mean by transformation? Well, when I say transformation, I mean the type of life that necessarily follows justification. I mean a sacrificial life of love towards others. I mean a deep connection to a local church. I mean a pattern of living which serves other members in that local church. When I say a transformed life, I mean time devoted to God through scripture reading and prayer. When I say a transformed life, I mean a pure life, again, in morality and in sexuality. So where justification has occurred, there will be a transformed life. If there is not a transformed life, justification has not occurred. Amen? Amen. That is, <clears throat> that's the sermon. Now, at this point in the sermon, what I should do is I should take you to the text, walk you through the text, and prove my point to you. That's usually what we do, right? That's my job as the preacher. I'm not going to do that this morning, right? At this point, the, the, the record skips. Like, what? What's what, hang on, Pastor Kurt. We're, I mean, we're going to revolt. We're going to get up and get out of here if you don't. Well, before you do that, before you start throwing stuff at me, calm down. Because in our text today, there's a problem. There's a problem for us uh, who would call ourselves reformed, uh, uh, for a church like us that is looking to the reformers as they were guiding us uh, in those solas, grace alone, faith alone, and we stumble upon a text like this, which James is really highlighting works. And so we have this issue in the text that I feel like if I don't address the issue in the text, then I can't exegete the text because you won't be listening. You'll, you'll, in your mind, you'll be thinking, well, 
man, James sounds like he's saying it's faith and works that saves us when we say all the time, grace alone, faith alone. So what gives? What, 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 is, what is going on? And so uh, what we're going to do is try to solve that problem this morning. We're going to look at it in great detail. So full disclosure, this morning we're getting into the weeds. Okay, that, that's what's happening this morning. So if you didn't have your coffee, I'm sorry. Uh, you might be nodding off. This, this is what this sermon is going to be. We are, we're going to go slow. It's going to be very detailed. We are getting down into the weeds and looking at uh, this doctrine of justification because it is so incredibly important. So if you do not like theologically dense sermons, you are in the wrong place. So we're going to have to work very hard together to stay on track. Amen. Can we do that? Can, do we have license to do that this morning? Okay. Let's look at the problem uh, with as much detail as we can. I want to draw our attention to James verse 20. So 2 verse 20 says this. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So again, a Maybe, maybe the reformers just weren't reading James. You know, they, they really liked Paul, not so much James. Look at James 2.24. This, this verse says this. You see that a person is justified by works and not by what? Faith alone. So as, as we, you know, champion the solas, here is James saying, Justified by works, not by faith alone. What in the world is happening here? How do, we, how do we reconcile this with what we teach on a regular basis and what the Apostle Paul repeatedly says? And so it's, it's almost like this is a more important question. So forget the Reformers. The, the Reformers were not writing Scripture, were they? Certainly not. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther said that the epistle of James was an epistle of straw. He didn't like it very much. So the bigger question or the more important question is, does James contradict Paul or does Paul contradict James? Because here is what Paul has to say in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. What? That, that seems like a direct contradiction, does it not? Or, or, or how about Romans 5.1? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there it is again, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What are they, what's happening here? Some of the early commentators said that uh, they're actually writing to refute one another. James, James is the earlier letter, and so Paul is writing, because he read James's letter, he's like, oh, I got it wrong there. You know, so he's going he's gonna to write his letters to refute James. The problem with that is the dates really don't work out so much, and if that were so, if Paul was writing to refute James, Paul would have called him straight out. Right? I mean, have you guys read Galatians where Paul's like, I rebuked Peter to his face because he was out of step with the gospel. So if Paul was writing to refute James, he would have said, I'm, I'm calling out James. I'm refuting him to his face because we're justified by faith alone. So, so no, that, that's incorrect. They're, they're not writing to refute 
one another's. And so here is the question at the very heart of the matter that we're looking at. Does the Bible contradict itself? Does the Bible contradict itself? Well, let me just read this for you. Here's what I wrote down answering the question, does the Bible contradict itself? I wrote, we believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God. To read the Bible is to read the very words that come from God. To speak it out loud is to speak the words that come from God. So because God does not lie, it means this word, his holy word, is true. Because he is infinitely wise and all-knowing, the Bible cannot and does not contradict itself. So because of this firmly held doctrinal belief in the infallibility of God's word, we must not look at a text like this and come to the conclusion that it contradicts itself. End of quote. Amen? Amen. So there are problems for us in the Bible, not problems for God. <laughs> there are issues for us in our understanding of what the text says, but not for God. So it is with that understanding that the Bible does not contradict itself, uh, that the word of God is true and is infallible, that we must look at these two texts the text from Romans, the, the text that Paul writes, and the text from James, our text today, and see how they work together. And so that's what we are going to try to do in the time that we have left. Now, I do want to say books, volumes of books are written on this. Uh, essentially, the, the soteriology of James, the soteriology of Paul, and how they work together. Entire courses and lectures are given doing this, and I'm going to attempt to do it in 25 minutes or so that I have left, okay? So, so just know that. Thank you. I need, I need, I appreciate them, them prayers coming this way. So, does James and Paul, do James and Paul contradict each other? Uh, we're going to look at three reasons why they don't, and, and why these texts actually go together. First is this, number one, James and Paul are not contradictory because James is not writing comprehensive doctrine. He is writing to correct an error in doctrine. Okay, When the Apostle Paul writes Romans, if you read Romans, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible work uh, of theological depth. And he is writing to essentially set out a detailed systematic doctrine of soteriology and how one initially comes to saving faith, in addition to addressing a whole bunch of other <laughs> theological topics, right? That's what, that's what Paul's doing in the letter to the Romans. James, on the other hand, is not setting out to put together a systematic, uh, expansive, complete doctrine on soteriology. Rather, he's just correcting false doctrine. He how many times have we seen thus far to where James will give us one sentence, he'll, he'll give us a point, and he just moves on. He, he leaves it there. Hey, here's this. I've, I've said it, and he moves on. Go read Romans. <laughs> Paul gives you the point, and then three chapters later, he's, he's, done it, he's finally done explaining it. Three chapters later is, is one point. He, he, he takes that much time to develop the idea and build the idea out. And so, James is writing to correct error. Well, what error is James writing to correct? Well, he's writing to correct those people who believe that all they have to do is say the magic words. Jesus is Lord. Cool. I'm done. All you have to do is say the magic words. Well, he, he's like, no, no. 
That's not it at all. If you think that all you have to do is say the magic word, Jesus is Lord, then you've missed it altogether. If you're saying that that type of faith is going to save you, you don't understand at all because that type of faith needs to be accompanied with works. And so he's writing to correct that error. So someone who says that they are a Christian, but their life does not back it up, he's writing to correct that error. Just look at James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? What he means is, it's like we can even import a word into Scripture, which is usually really dangerous, but it's okay here. Just just trust me. What he's saying there is, can that kind of faith save you? Right? So, uh, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that kind of faith, the kind of faith, that doesn't have any works, that doesn't back it up. Can that kind of faith save you? The answer is no. That's exactly what he's saying. And as a matter of fact, he goes on to detail that type of faith, an empty faith, a barren faith, a faith that does not have works. He goes on to say that this type of faith is three things. He calls it dead faith, demonic faith, and useless faith. So a faith that just says the magic words is a dead faith, a demonic faith, and a useless faith. Let's, let's look at that real, real quick. Look at James 2.17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So somebody who believes that they're a Christian, yet their life doesn't back it up, James says that's a dead faith. We know that uh, in the verses just before that, he's talking about the person uh, that, that is hungry, and yet the Christian doesn't feed them. He, he, he outlines a person who doesn't have proper clothing, and the Christian doesn't clothe them. The Christian does not show sacrificial love, a, a, a love that sacrifices for someone else. The Christian does not show that, and therefore, James says, that's dead faith. That, that's, that faith is not going to save you. It's, it's dead faith. He goes on in 2.19 to call a type of faith that doesn't back it up with works. He goes on to call that a demonic faith. Look at James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. So if you have the type of faith where you say you're a Christian, but your life doesn't back it up, James says that's demonic faith because, because the demons have that same type of faith, meaning that is intellectually orthodox, but not lived out. Meaning the demons know who God is. The demons know who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, if, if we are going to uh, go head to head with the demonic forces on a theological exam, guess who gets a higher score? They do because they see and know things in the spiritual realm that we don't see and know, yet they despise God. They do not love God. They love themselves. They're not pouring themselves out self-sacrificially for others. Rather, they're trying to get their own glory, and so he calls that demonic faith. That's, that's demonic faith. What's so funny, <laughs> so look back at 2.19. It says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and at least they do something about it. They shudder. That's what they do. But you're saying that you believe, but you don't, you don't, you don't do anything at all. Your life doesn't back up. You don't even shudder like the demons do. So it, it's a type of demonic faith. Third, he calls it a useless faith, James 2.20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Why is it useless? It's useless because on that final day, when you see the Lord face to face, 
he will not say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will say, away from me, I never knew you. That's why it's useless faith. So it's useless because you're saying you know God, but yet when you see him face to face, he's going to say, I don't know you. That, that's why it is useless faith. So you will not hear, well done, good and faithful. That, that's, that's why he's saying that it's useless. So a type of faith that just says the magic words, Jesus is Lord, I'm saved. A type of faith that just checks the box. Uh, a type of faith that says that you're a Christian, yet does not back it up. That type of faith is a dead faith, a demonic faith, and a useless faith. James is saying, don't have that kind of faith. For James, there is a necessity for the right type of faith, namely one that produces acts of love towards others and holy living. Those are necessity. His point here that he's trying to get, the point that we're trying to make looking at how James views faith and how Paul views faith is this. It is unfair to lay these two statements, one from Paul and one from James next to each other, and say that they are contradictory because they are trying to accomplish two different things with what they are writing. So Paul, is here's what he's trying to accomplish, a comprehensive doctrinal statement concerning soteriology. What is James trying to accomplish? James is trying to correct false doctrine. Now, that does not mean that Paul, in his writing, does not also try to correct false doctrine. Because he, he absolutely does. What about Romans 6.1? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? So, so Paul is correcting false doctrine because as Paul is teaching salvation by faith alone, in his mind, he's assuming that what is going to come back from the congregation is that somebody's going to say, oh, well, if it's all God's work, it's all grace, it's all faith, and God gets glory by pouring out his grace, then shouldn't we go on sinning so that God pours out more grace and God is more glorified? Well, Paul responds, and his response is, if you understand it rightly, in agreeance with James. Look at what he says in Romans 6 too. This is Paul. So should we continue sinning so that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Meaning, justification will result in transformation. So he, so he agrees. He agree, they agree, right? They agree. Okay, second, second thought here. So the first is they're trying to accomplish two different things. They're, you can't lay these two statements, lay these two books together and say they don't agree because they're trying to do two different things. Secondly is this, too. James and Paul are not contradictory because they are addressing two different aspects of justification. Okay, They're looking at justification, this, this big idea. Justification is a massive doctrine, if you're, if you're not aware. It's got a lot of parts and a lot of pieces to it. And in their teaching, they're emphasizing different parts of justification. So there, there is an already not yet. This is what theologians say all the time. There, there's an already not yet. What do I mean by that? So we are already united to Christ. Amen? We're united to Christ. There's an already component to that, yet we are not fully united to Christ like we will be when he returns. So there's an already not yet uh, there happening. So are we free from sin? Yes. And... <laughs> When Jesus returns, we will be fully. So there's an already aspect of our faith, and there's a not yet aspect uh, to our faith. And so if you're taking notes, Paul's use of justification points to how a person 
begins their relationship with God. That's, that's what Paul is trying to do. He's pointing us to how someone begins their relationship with God. That's, that's the, the part of justification that Paul is focusing on. He wants us to see that. How do you, how do you move from someone who is a, a sinner far away from God and that initial step into saving faith? Well, you're justified by faith alone. That's what Paul wants to emphasize. While James' use, this is so important, if you're taking notes, James' use of justification has in mind the final declaration of approval when they are judged, which takes into account how they lived. Are y'all with me this morning? I told you we're getting into the weeds. So Paul is emphasizing how someone comes into saving faith. How do you come into saving faith? Well, well, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, you're justified. That's what Paul is talking about. James is talking about the final justification, the justification that comes when at the judgment seat, your life following Jesus is observed and the declaration that is read over you is not guilty, but is set free, is justified. That happens at the final judgment seat. So, so Paul is emphasizing the already. James is emphasizing the not yet. Does that make sense? So they're coming at it from two different vantage points. And, and so this should not alarm us. This should not alarm us. So that's the doctrine of justification. This happens all the time in Scripture as we look at the doctrine of sanctification, doesn't it? So if you're looking at the doctrine of sanctification, what part are you talking about? Are you talking about progressive sanctification? That is that aspect to where you are killing sin and becoming more like Christ? Or are you talking about positional sanctification? Same doctrinal idea, sanctification, but two different aspects. And it is the context of the text which tells us what type of sanctification is being discussed in the text. I told you we're getting into the weeds, okay? So when we're looking at these type of doctrinal themes, these doctrinal statements, we shouldn't be alarmed that Paul is emphasizing one part while James is emphasizing another. That, that shouldn't alarm us. It happens all the time in Scripture uh, repeatedly. Okay, um, let me be as clear as I can here. So let's ask this question to Paul, and, and I'm going to try to give what I think Paul's response would be, and then I'll ask the question to James, and I'll try to give the response that I think James would give. Can we do that? Would that be helpful? Okay, so let's ask Paul. The question is this, are you justified by works? Okay, so I want to ask Paul that question, are you justified by works? And I'm going to give his answer. And then I'm going to ask James, hey, James, do you think we're justified by works? And, and I'll give what I, how I think he would answer. Okay, here we go. First, let's ask Paul. Hey, Paul, we've, we've read Romans. We've read the, they're, they're great, man. We've read your letters. They're really cool. We, we're just, we're trying to, been talking amongst ourselves here, trying to solve a little problem. Can you answer this question for us, Apostle Paul? Are you justified by works? Paul answers, no. No. If by that you mean gaining a right standing with God through what you do. So Paul says you're not justified by works. If by that you mean that you are gaining a right standing with God through what you do. Paul was denying that man is justified by works in the sense that those works merit justification. Earn it. Earn justification. Paul says, no, no, that's not how it works at all. If, that, if that's what you mean by justification by works. Okay. 
Now, let's ask James. Now, James is going to answer in the affirmative. Okay, so, hey, Paul, are we justified by works? Paul says, nope. If by that you mean you merit justification. Now, let's ask James. Hey, James, are you justified by works? James says, yes. If by that you mean faith that produces works, which proves your faith to be genuine on the final day of judgment. Okay, some, some of you guys get, get nodding your heads a little bit. So while Paul can answer in the negative, James can answer in the affirmative, and it is not contradictory at all. Okay? All right. Third line of reasoning is this. James and Paul are not contradictory because they believe the same thing about how someone is saved. They believe the same thing. They're not contradicting one another at all. They believe the same thing about how someone is saved. All we need to do is go back and look at several key texts that we've already studied in the book of James to see that James views salvation the way Paul views salvation. They agree. Let's look at James 1, 17 through 18. Listen to the way James talks about how someone is saved. Here's what he says. Every good gift, he's referring, this good gift is the gift of salvation. Look at what it says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen to this. Of his own will. Of his own will. Of our works, James? Is that how we're saved? No, no, no. Uh, no, as I was saying, of his own will, of God's own will, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word. What is that? That's grace alone through faith alone. The same thing the Apostle Paul says. They're not contradicting at all. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This shows us that James believes God is the one who saves and justifies. From beginning to end, grace alone through faith alone, James and Paul agree. Or how about James 2.5? He says this, Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen Grace alone through faith alone. Same thing the Apostle Paul would say. Listen, my brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in what? Faith. God chooses us to be rich in faith. It's, it's not that we have to take faith and works and put them together so that we're saved. God chooses for us to be rich in faith unto justification so that we are saved unto transformation. Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So God chooses to give people faith and to adopt them as heirs of the kingdom. So to read those verses sounds a lot like Paul, to read these verses in James. Well, let's go and see if we can find a verse to where uh, maybe Paul is sounding a little like James. Can we do that? It's there. Galatians 5, 6 says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Oh, hang on. That sounds very Pauline. That, that does not sound like James at all. Where's, where's James coming? Well, if you keep on reading, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Listen to this. But only faith. Wow. Working through love. That's, hey, which guy am I reading here? Am I reading Paul or James? Well, again, they, they totally agree um, on, on this whole thing. So he, so he says, 
but only faith working through love. So notice he's not saying in this particular, Paul is not saying in this particular text in Galatians that salvation is dependent on two different things. The first thing, the first thing here is faith. So you have to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus has come and died on the cross in your place for your sins. You have to have faith that that work was for you. And the second thing is that you have to have work and love, meaning you have to pour yourself out in loving sacrifice for other people. It's those two things. Well, no, that's not what he's saying at all. The way that he words this is faith working through love. So what Paul is referring to is a particular type of faith. The same thing that James is saying. He's referring to a particular type of faith, namely a faith in Jesus which produces a life of sacrificial love for other brothers and sisters in Christ and those who are far off. That's what both of them are saying. So far from standing, facing one another, Paul and James, trying to battle it out. Who's right? Is it faith, faith alone or is it works? Is it faith and works? They're battling each other. Absolutely not. That's not what's happening here. They're not standing face to face and battling. Rather, they're standing back to back, standing on the same truth, battling two different enemies of the gospel. They're battling two different enemies of the gospel. That's absolutely what is happening here. The first enemy of the gospel being that you bring something to the table. That, that's an enemy of the gospel, church family. And every single one of us wakes up on most mornings believing that we're bringing something to the gospel. That, that you know, uh, oh man, Pastor Kurt, he's going, I'm, I'm going to preach a good one today, son. I'm going I'm to bring something to my salvation. How, how ridiculous and anti-gospel is that? But, but we try to bring things to our salvation, like our Bible reading or our church attendance or our tithing. We're bringing something, and in swoops the Apostle Paul with the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. You bring nothing. You bring nothing to the table. You, you don't have anything to bring to God. Anything that you have to bring to God has been given to you by God. We come needy. We come empty. We come poor. We have nothing to bring to the cross. Absolutely not. And the other enemy of the gospel being that all I have to do is say the magic words and go out the doors and I'm good. Me and God have an understanding. I've got it worked out. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't really need to be a member of a local church. I don't really need to. I mean, I have read the Bible. I don't regularly read the Bible. You know, I don't, I don't spend time in prayer. God knows my heart. Uh, and with that enemy of the gospel, in swoops James to go, no, no, no. Pump the brakes. That, that's not how it works at all. Because if you really have been justified by grace alone through faith alone, if there is justification, there will be transformation. So you will desire to be with God's people. You will desire to be a member of a local church. You will desire to read his word. There will be a hunger in your heart to cry out to him in prayer. There will be, there'll be desire in your heart when you see the needs of other brothers and sisters in Christ that are in need and struggling. There will be a desire in your heart to meet their needs, to love them, to pour yourself out for them. There will be that transformation there if true justification has occurred. So these two men are standing back to back, battling against two different enemies of the gospel. So if you're taking notes, listen to what Calvin has to say. <clears throat> As Paul contends that we are justified apart from the help of works, so James does not allow those 
who lack good works to be reckoned righteous. <laughs> I'll read that again because it's good. <clears throat> As Paul contends that we are justified apart from the help of works, so James does not allow those who lack good works to be reckoned righteous. So again, these two men, apart from the, oh, they're, they're disagreeing, they're writing to contradict one another, right? Absolutely not. They're, they're not battling one another. They're standing back to back on the same gospel truth, battling two different enemies of the gospel, meaning justification by faith alone, uh, and that once justification has occurred, transformation will occur, and wherever those enemies come in, here's the great apostle Paul and James, the brother of Jesus, to defend the good name of the gospel. If you're taking notes, the beauty of the gospel can be seen through the lens of justification and through the lens of its transforming power. If, if you like totally blacked out during this whole thing, it was too much in the weeds for you, we got, if, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to at least see the beauty of the gospel this morning. Okay, so in, in a sermon like this, if you got lost, I want you to at least, at bare minimum today, church family, I want you to see the beauty of the gospel, and the beauty of the gospel comes shining through to us in these, in these two aspects. The first aspect being that of justification by faith alone, that it was Jesus' work on the cross which brings us into right relationship with God, that those who were far off, that those who have turned their backs on God have been brought near to him by his work. It's just by grace alone through faith alone and you can also see the beauty of the gospel through the lens not only of justification but through the lens of transformation meaning this God is changing you God is putting desires in your heart that were not there before so those who are trapped by sin what James is saying is that you're going to have good works you can you can begin to kill that sin and become more like Christ those of us trapped by addiction those of us who feel like I'm just going to be this way and I'm never going to change that's not true if you've truly been just Justified. There will be transformation in your life. You can love people. You can serve people. You can pour your life out to people and bring glory to the kingdom. Even weak sinners like us can do that because of the beauty of transformation. And so let your heart sing this morning. Be lifted high this morning in your spirit as you examine and place your eyes on the good doctrine of justification and let your heart be filled with hope and joy because of the beautiful doctrine of the gospel which says we can be transformed last and final thought the main theme again when justification occurs there will be transformation if there is not transformation then justification has not occurred what we must do this morning church family if we name the name of Christ if we say we believe the question we must ask ourselves is am I being transformed? Let's pray. Oh Lord, that our hearts would sing this morning of the great beauty of the gospel, the gospel of justification by faith alone, the great work that happens upon our justification to where your Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and begins to work on us so that we do have works which lead on to and show that we are truly justified. God, I pray that there would be a serious, intense, and honest reflection of our hearts and our lives, and that this text would draw us to ask the question, 
am I being transformed? Am I daily being conformed into the image of Christ? Or do I have the type of faith which James calls dead, demonic, empty, useless? Oh God, show us the reality of our hearts this morning. And for those who discover dead faith, may you give them living faith by the power of your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.